Help us understand you better. Reboot has developed a quick five-minute survey to get to know you, our audience. Visit reboot.io forward slash survey to let us know what you think. Thanks for taking part. When I step into organizations and we, we do organizational work, one of the most important messages I send is that there's no them. There's only us. And if you think about the, the complexity of organizations, we other people all the time. Oh, you know, the C-suite. Well, guess what? They're made up of brokenhearted human beings. Well, you know, those guys on the West Coast. Oh, you know, the women in engineering. Oh, you know, the guys in marketing. Everybody's the other. Right. Until we realize, wait a minute, there's just us. Like one big fucking us. And there's just us. And some of us do things that hurt others of us. Some of us knock down the tombstones in a Jewish cemetery. And some of us are Syrian refugees who go into those cemeteries to pay respect and write them. Some of us strap bombs to our body in response to the pain. And some of us put uniforms on and kiss their spouse and kids and go defend a country some other place. There's only us. That's right. And, and I read your piece and I said, this is the story of my brother and his having been othered and his having come home. Welcome to the Reboot Podcast. Welcome again to the Reboot Podcast. I am Dan Putt. I was a normal sixth grader living a normal life, and then I wasn't. It was an overnight shift that was 10 years in the making, one that was totally out of my control and beyond my say, but somehow it exposed me in a way that I had always feared. I was truly not part of the us. I was now a them, and I felt shame. It was the day after my parents had another all-out screaming argument, which was the final blow in a marriage that had struggled to stay off the mat. In that moment, divorce, a life of weekend visits and divided family, went from something that happens to other people to something that happened to me. And I felt thrust out of the community of just being a normal kid with a normal childhood and a normal family. I remember going to school the next day in a daze, carrying a deep shame. I no longer felt I belonged in the club of those who had normal childhoods. All human beings have a need for love, safety, and belonging. And we've explored this topic in previous episodes, including in episode 19 with Tanisha Robinson. And sometimes in our need for belonging, we can be quick to notice who our people are and who those people are, and even quicker to see where we belong and where we don't. And sometimes this shows up in very cruel and hateful ways. And sometimes it means carrying shame, anger, or pride 
and things that we have little to no control over, such as our heritage, our skin color, our family situation, or even our body type. But here is the thing. We are all human. Yes, we have differences, and the differences should be celebrated. But the truth is, there is no us versus them. We are truly fortunate to welcome again to our podcast a VC and an amazing human, Bijan Zabet. Jerry was deeply moved by a piece Bijan wrote back in January called Not Alone Anymore. In this post and in this moving conversation, they talk about Bijan growing up as the son of a Korean mother and an Iranian father during the Iranian hostage crisis. And the shame that he carried, both being shunned for being different and for denying those differences. And how the pain of that moment came rushing back with the Trump executive order in January. But that pain inspired him into action. Bajan and his wife set out to fundraise to support those affected. And in doing so, inspired so many others to do the same, myself included. And our wish for you in listening to this podcast, and perhaps our greatest work within Reboot, is for you to feel the same as I did as I listened to this story. We are in this together. We are not alone anymore. Leadership roles present women with a unique set of challenges and frustrations. November 9th through the 12th, join 15 leaders who identify as women and immerse yourself in the complexity and vulnerability of being a female executive at the Reboot Retreat Center in Boulder, Colorado. Give yourself and your leadership a reboot at this women-only boot camp. Learn more at Reboot.io slash women. If we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. Mother Teresa. Hey, Bijan, it's so good to see you. It's really, really good to see you again. Great to see you too, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and uh, note that... Uh, you're uh, wearing a turnaround baseball cap right now. <laughs> and um, I'm going to retell a quick little story that uh, the first time Fred Wilson and I ever met, he came to my office, which was at Lycos, and uh, he walked in and um, I was sitting there with a ripped t-shirt and a turnaround Yankees baseball cap. Although I don't think that's a Yankees cap. And uh, <laughs> he looked at me and he said, okay, I know that that's my partner for me because <laughs> I looked like a guy who would be involved in the internet. So you look like a guy who'd be involved in the internet. <laughs> I knew I liked you. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, so thanks for agreeing to come on the show again. You know, oftentimes uh, uh, folks ask to come on the show and sometimes uh, I ask people to come on the show. And, and in this case I asked, uh, you, Bijan, to come on the show because I was really moved by the piece that you wrote in Medium, which we'll, we'll circle back to. And I want to bring people's attention to the last podcast conversation you and I had, which uh, is kind of funny in hindsight when you think of the title, because the title was Investors Are Human Too. <laughs> um, and I bring that back because... In reading this piece, which we'll have a link to and everything, and obviously we'll talk to, um, I was struck by the humanity in the piece. And so, you know, 
Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's in the piece? What prompted you to write it? And then, uh, and then we'll sort of dive in a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, um, I was actually surprised at myself that I, I, I wrote it. Um, maybe it'll be apparent, um, why, or it'll be revealing as we talk about it, but yeah, the piece is called not alone anymore. Right. And it was published, uh, January 29th on medium. Go ahead. Right. right. Yeah. So basically, you know, I, I'm an American citizen. I grew up in New York. I'm a Yankees fan, although my hat right now is not a Yankees uh, hat. <laughs> and, um, you know, I grew up as a first generation American. My mom is from, uh, emigrated from Korea and my dad emigrated from Iran. And, you know, in, a, in, in growing up, they both really did their best to, you know, maybe this is a bad word, but assimilate. I mean, I, I didn't learn any real culture from their native lands. I don't speak a lick of Farsi. I, I don't speak any Korean. I, I can count to 10 in Korean only because I took Taekwondo for many years. So I, I just learned how to count. But I uh, that was not my mother's doing. It was just, you know, just kind of one of those things. Um, so anyway, there was this real attempt to get westernized quickly and just fit in. I was baptized. I, you know, I went to Catholic school. I went to a Jesuit. High. I mean, it was, you know, on one hand, I was kind of had a a good American life. And, um, and so anyway, the, the, the thing I wrote about was I kind of felt just like everybody else until, you know, I was about seven or eight, maybe a little older. And in the late seventies in the United States, or, you know, there was a situation with Iran where, uh, the American hostage crisis happened. You know, many listeners probably are quite young and entrepreneurial. So like, 1970s feels like a hundred years ago, but <laughs> and um, maybe it was. But at the time, the U- the U.S. relationship with Iran went from reasonable to toxic, you know, because before the revolution in Iran, the U.S. and Iran were allies. Then um, there was a revolution over there, and in part of that effort, the uh, American diplomats and civilians were taken as hostages. Horrible, and. Um, and then, you know, the relationship between two countries naturally became uh, very, very intense and toxic. Um, and I kind of heard about all this as a young person, only because my dad was, you know, he still had family there. But, you know, it wasn't like we were that close. They didn't come here. Um, but suddenly I felt different at that moment on. You know, in some ways I was forever changed because suddenly my name went from being just different to weird. I I had, you know a group of friends that were still my friends, but the older kids in particular uh, decided that I was the punching bag, either verbally or physically. Um, and, you know, it was a period of, of embarrassment, a little bit of, it's a little weird to say shame. Cause I really don't know what, where that would come from, but that's a word that comes to mind. Um, uh, sadness. Um, yeah. I want to, yeah. if, if you can, maybe we can go back to that for a moment. Um, you don't have the piece available to you, do you? I don't, but I, I wrote it. So I remember it pretty well, but I can certainly pull it off. Yeah. Cause I think it would be helpful if perhaps you read rather than me read to you. Okay. Um, yeah. And you just took a deep breath in a little scared. A little bit. A yeah. Little bit. I- okay. So if you've got the piece in front of you, what I'm thinking of, if you don't mind, could you read from the paragraph that begins some of my earliest memories? Sure. Some of my earliest memories of elementary school were super positive and happy. Playing anywhere we could find a ball, stickball at lunch, soccer on the field, and football anytime in between. 
I never thought twice about my name being different until the fifth grade. Then I realized I was different. Yes. I would just hold there. Yeah. Could you read that last line again? Then I realized I was different. What did it feel like to be different? It, it wasn't good. I, I, I remember it felt uh, pretty, pretty bad. You know, I, 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 I wanted to, uh, to be anything but different and because it wasn't different for being the strongest, tallest, smartest. It was, it was different for a reason well beyond my control and in a way that felt like unbelievably um, scary and inferior and, um, mm. you know, um, uh, scary. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of times we talk about the three deep, deep wishes that we all hold, which is for love, safety and belonging. Love to give and receive love. We want we need to be able to give love and we need to be able to receive it. And we need to know that we're physically and emotionally and psychically safe. And a core component of that is a sense of belonging. See, if I belong, then Mm. I know I'm safe. If I belong, I can feel and give. I can receive and give love. And so belonging is this, 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 the wish to belong is this like deep, primal, primal Mm. wish. And uh, when we realize we are different, however that difference is laid upon us. And in this case, you're just a kid who wants to play stickball. Right, right. You're just a kid who has a funny, different name. Right, right. Whose skin color is a little different than everybody else. Right. It's all because of this exogenous event that you had nothing to do with. Right, right. Yeah, and in some ways, I mean, I don't know if this is fair to, to, to describe it this way, but I almost feel like, you know, if I had grown up in a world, like there were plenty of people that came from other countries where their culture was maintained, you know what I mean? Like, or, or not maintained, but they kind of came with their own tribe, so to speak. Mm. Like if I grew up in, like, let's say, um, in a strong community of Koreans or, or Quran, like Iranians, like, but it was, it was very odd because I, I literally felt no different than anybody else. Um, until I didn't, if, if that makes any sense. I, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, you had a tribe, right? Right. right? And, and if uh, I remember it was Long Island, right? That's right. Exactly. Right. And so it was Long Island in the seventies and the tribe was like, you know, playing stickball and running, running to the school playground and, you know, getting on your bike and, and, right. you know, the suburbs, right, it, right. It, the tribe wasn't Iranian immigrants or Korean immigrants. Right. right, right, right. And all of a sudden you were told you're not part of the tribe. That's right. That, that, that's, that's, a, that's, that's well said. I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to best say it, but that's exactly right. And, and it, it was, it was overnight. It really was overnight. I went from being, uh, you know, it went from being a we situation to a, to a, to a, you know, mm-hmm. us and them. Uh, 
And, and I don't want to overstate it because I clearly still had close friends that treated me to no different. So it wasn't all of a sudden it was me against the world, uh, literally. Um, but in some sense, it felt that way. Sure, because the title of the piece is not alone anymore. Right, right, right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and that feeling starting in fifth grade kind of never went away because I remember even when I got to undergrad, you know, the world changed times, you know, that the, what happened in the 70s moved on. And um, but, you know, there were times where, you know, people would say to me, hey, where are you from? Hmm. And and I would say, oh, you know, I'm, I grew up in New York, and my dad's from Iran, and my mom's from Korea, and that would, and then you know, they'd be like, wow, that's weird, how'd that happen? And we'd talk about it, and then there were some cases where just people in passing, they're like, oh, are you are you are you French? Because the name Bijan, like if you say it in a, in a way, I guess by looking at it, you could you could draw different conclusions or something, or maybe the way I was looking at the time, or maybe I had a new wave haircut, who knows? Hmm. But um, and I remember there were definitely more than a few occasions where people would make an off comment like, Oh, you must be French. And I kind of didn't correct it. Mm. And it's horrible to kind of say it out loud. I don't even know if I wrote that in the piece. because, Yeah. And, um, it's, it's highly, um, you know, embarrassing to actually admit that all these, you know, a few decades later, but I think it came from the same root sentiment, you know, like that same, you know, kid, who in fifth grade felt this way, you know, that that's why I felt like, it, you know, if I could kind of have that same attitude in undergrad and it's still sitting there somewhere, you know, even as a 48 year old guy, um, you know, there's, there's something happening here. There's something going on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to bring you back to that feeling of the embarrassment that you even just felt just now. Right. And I'll say a word or two about shame. Shame is uh, shame is such a powerful means for the collective, whether it's our family, our parents, our religion, our country, to keep in line those who would celebrate their own difference. Shame, which you still feel. Right. Because I feel embarrassed that I did not own my own difference. Right. Right. And so it's a kind of damned if you do. Right. Deny the fact that you are the child of immigrants and damned if you don't. And. So become feel ashamed of being complicit with people misunderstanding. And maybe you come from a good country. Right, right. Not a bad country. Right, right. Yeah. And and looking back on those days, I, I, I actually not I don't remember those conversations, but I remember those moments. You know, I don't remember the exact people that this, you know, happened with or whatever, but. I, I remember just feeling so lousy that, like, I can't believe I did that again, you know, and um, being complicit in making yourself the other. Right. I mean, you know, looking back, I get why it happened, considering all the whole history, this experience from when I was a child. But 
like it, it doesn't feel very good at, at, at um, acknowledging it or reliving it or um, yeah, I mean, it just it it feels shame is is a great is a yeah it may be a painful word but it's an accurate word yeah yeah um so I have a shameful feeling as I read your piece I I I, I nearly cried and and then I thought about yeah. why was I so moved and it was aside from the obvious connection you know you write about the executive order that went out in January and we'll talk about that and we. And I, you know, but then I remembered something and I'm feeling shame as I share this with you. So I'm going to go ahead and lean into it. Okay. So when I was in high school and the Iranian crisis happened, I was scared. Mm. It was the, you know, uh, to tell, we really have some young listeners, so they'll be, talk about ancient history. I was 10 when Saigon fell, mm. right? I had uh, a brother who was not drafted, uh, but just barely. And there were many of my brother's friends who were drafted to Vietnam, and a few didn't come back. And the memory of that stayed with me well into high school. And as, as some folks may remember, the 70s were a really, really challenging time. We had an impeached president or a president who was about to be impeached. who He, he then resigned rather than go to jail. Um, and, the, and the country was in turmoil. And when the hostages were taken, like a lot of people, I didn't really have any clues where Iran was or what the history or how, in a sense, the CIA had supported the Shah and had installed the Shah in the 1950s. And that the revolution was, in effect, certainly a large part of the population trying, in effect, to take their country back. And that there was no simple black and white in that revolution. And like, and this is the shameful part, I had a small little gray binder. Do you remember those binders? Of course. Kind yeah. of a little fabric, loose leaf yeah. binder, but it was a small oh. one. Yeah. And I had written on the back of it. And now I'm going to cry. <laughs> Fuck Iran. Right, right. And I came home and my sister said to me, Jerry, what are you doing? That is the wrong response. And um, she then explained to me what was actually happening. And I remember tearing up the binder. And I've never told anyone that story. It's amazing the stuff that we, we, we lock away. I mean, it's. Uh... So, but I want to say to you. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, Jerry, come on. Are you kidding? Not, no, no need for sure. I mean, uh, without, without, I, I can see the pain in your, your heart and your face as we're talking here, but there's, there's hundred percent no need. And, and given the context and the history and the people and the loved ones, I mean, it's not, look, I, I saw my parents, their response to nine 11. I mean, they wanted to bomb everyone right. on the planet, you know, I mean, right. 
Right. They, you know, we feel it as, as, as Americans. I mean, it's not a, um, right. it's not a, um, surprising response. You know, it's, um, it, there's a, there's a, Hey, it's, you know, we feel wronged. You yeah. Know, we feel, yeah. You know. I, I appreciate that. And, and I want to, I want you to know that I can touch that shame too. Mm. That we can be brothers. Right. Isn't that amazing? Right. And the truth is, we're all impacted by these exogenous events that, like, how can I, as a 14-year-old, feel responsible for the upsurge of fear and aggression, which is perfectly human? Or how, as you, as, say, a 17- or 18-year-old going off into college, being complicit in denying your own true heritage? Right. Right. So just as you can release yourself from your embarrassment, I'll release myself from my embarrassment. How does that sound? That sounds like a deal. Yeah. 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 So tell me, tell me why this piece this time, I mean, you reference it and, and you and Lauren, um, your wife, Lauren, uh, raised some money for the ACLU, but, Tell me about the response. What what was it that you that caused you to to sort of reach into the past and write about this? Yeah, the the thing that happened here was um, so. There's a happy ending to this. To this yes. <laughs> um, besides this this powerful connection that you know Jerry and and I continue to share and um, little did I know it went back decades now. Um, mm. But I knew, I knew we had some old souls here, but um, no, the thing that really pushed me to write all this stuff down is that when president Trump, that's still hard to say a lot, but when the mm-hmm. president um, issued this executive order, this, this Muslim ban, I expected the country not to really, I mean, aside from my fellow progressives out there, I didn't feel like there was going to be an outcry because this is a candidate, you know, before there was a president Trump, there was a candidate Trump who promised this Muslim ban, right? Like it's, it's, it's well accounted for. So it's a person who was elected who, who basically made good, you know, (laughs) on his promise. And I felt like in the grand scheme of things, there's a million things for Americans to worry about. And this was a president who got elected and um, and made good on a promise. So on a Friday afternoon, he issues his executive order. Um, and I remember being heartbroken, but not surprised. Right. Um, but I, I was heartbroken about it. And I felt like after eight years of President Obama, wow, what is going on here? I called up my wife. I said, you know, we got to do something. This feels wrong. Um, I don't know if anyone's going to give a shit. I don't even know if it matters, but let's, let's launch a fundraiser. Let's, let's go try to raise 50,000. Let's do 25,000. Lauren said, no brainer. Let's do it. And on the campaign, on the post, I said, Hey, we're going to do this for, it's going to expire. I think the end of February. So I, I basically thought it was going to take two months to raise the money because mm-hmm. I really didn't think that, you know, like there's a lot of stuff to worry about in this world. And and we raised the 25000 from the community in less than a day, hmm. um, never mind two months. And, and putting aside our little fundraiser, which I'm deeply great, grateful to all the people that contributed, and I know most of them, 
and I don't know plenty, which also is moving, the outcry around the planet against this executive order was unbelievable considering the countries involved. It wasn't like he banned France, (laughs) Great Britain. He banned countries that, you know, for good reasons and, and whatever reasons, has a history with the U.S. that's not positive. And so why would the average person give a shit? Uh, I just felt like kind of he kicked the the dog that nobody liked anyway. So why would people care? And the response was unbelievable on both coasts, within the tech community, outside the tech community, in middle America, around the world. It was in Western countries. It was it was um, unbelievably moving. And at that point, it wasn't that we just hit the campaign. It wasn't that. That weekend, the ACLU raised $25 million, which is 10x their annual uh, budget. It, it, was, it was the outcry. It was the global outcry from people that really I, I never would have predicted would have cared. And, and that, to me, felt like, hey, you know, I, I don't feel alone anymore. It, it, it was um, something felt like it changed back. All of a sudden, that bit that flipped in fifth grade uh, flipped back. Mm. It really flipped back. And I... I, I'm, uh, I, I feel like in many ways something, you know, something landed for me and, and I, and I had to write it down. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I'm so moved by that and I'm grateful that, that you had that response. Um, part of what, what happened for me was, was the realization that people that I did not even know, didn't even realize would be affected were being affected. Um, because of course, you're Bijan. I never saw you as anything other than right. you're just, that French VC. <laughs> I didn't even see you as no, French. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I mean, I, 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 like to me, you're the other guy from Long Island. You know, <laughs> like that's the way I think of you, and who, like me, loves photography, right? Like, and 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 you know. One of the things that's happening here is this profound realization that, uh, you know, when, when I step into organizations and we, we do organizational work, one of the most important messages I send is that there's no them. There's only us. And if you think about the, the complexity of organizations, we other people all the time. Oh, you know. The C-suite. Well, guess what? They're made up of brokenhearted human beings. Well, you know, those guys on the West Coast. Oh, you know, the women in engineering. Oh, you know, the guys in marketing. Everybody's the other. Right. Until we realize, wait a minute, there's just us. Like one big fucking us. And there's just us. And some of us do things that hurt others of us. Some of us knock down the tombstones in a Jewish cemetery. And some of us are Syrian refugees who go into those cemeteries to pay respect and write them. Some of us strap bombs to our body in response to the pain. And some of us 
put uniforms on and kiss their spouse and kids and go defend a country some other place. There's only us. That's right. And, and I read your piece and I said, this is the story of my brother and his having been othered and his having come home. And I wanted you to know that. Me all choked up. (laughs) Well, you know, you know what I do, right? (laughs) (laughs) But, but, but the, but our mutual choking up stems from the fact that, um, you know, I have the grace and good fortune of, uh, looking like the majority of Americans. Well, let's put it yeah. this way. Actually, I, I have the good fortune of looking like the old majority of Americans. <laughs> I have the good fortune of looking like, I have had the good fortune of looking like what people believe to be Americans. But the truth is, there are more Americans who don't look like me than are our Americans who look like me. And I still feel like I belong. Mm. And so I'm grateful to you for your, for your authenticity, for your leadership, for your leaning in, uh, for your willingness to share that experience. Um, you know, I think that us being able to, 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 you know, you have a line in here, people everywhere are taking a stand against hate, against fear mongering, against bigotry and against racism. And I think this is a stand as powerful as your donation, yours and Lauren's donation. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's right. Yeah. Well, I, I can't imagine sharing this, uh, in, in, any, in this kind of, uh, honest and direct way with anybody else, uh, in this kind of, um, you know, format. I, I, I really can't, I, I kind of, there's a, um, you know, maybe there's some level of bravery of writing the words down for anybody to see if they stumble across the post, but, um, it's another thing to talk to an old friend and, and, uh, and, and really kind of, you know, get into it. And, uh, I, I appreciate that, you know, I'm grateful for our friendships so that I, I can actually, um, say these thoughts out loud and, 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 and get my arms around them because, um, it's, it's, um, it's, it means a lot. It really yeah. means a lot to me. Well, well, I, you're welcome in, in, in that regard. And, you know, now that you're getting close to 50, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to consider you one of the elders. Yes. <laughs> and, um, one of the things I often say, um, is that, you know, we have a responsibility as elders in our community to model a way of being, you know, we often, I often speak of that when, you know, say Bradfeld and I are talking about being honest about our struggles emotionally and, and mentally, psychologically, but it, but it applies here as well, which is that we have a responsibility to, to model uh, a way of being with the issues that really drive us um, so that the next generation right behind us 
that the, the, the path is clear. And, you know, just before getting on this call, I was replying to, to an email um, from a young woman uh, from, uh, she, she identifies as from Asia. It's not specific about which country. And this is, you know, a week after two uh, Indian engineers were attacked right. in Kansas City. And before one of them was shot, was told were told to go back to their country, right? And um, she spoke about the fact that she feels like she should she should move back home to her country, her original place of birth, to do her startup. And um, I think that you telling your story makes it possible for people like that woman to know that um, she is home. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, and that's really just about it, like playing stickball right. in the late afternoon. Right. You know, which, which, and again, there again, there's a whole bunch of people on the, on this who are listening in this audience who have no idea what stickball <laughs> is. They're <laughs> So we'll have to include a link to a website yeah. that explains what stickball is, so people Very know it is. Yeah, an elder team, uh, elder, you know, stickball game for the for all time's sake. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you so much for this conversation, my friend. And and uh, you no, know, it really, um, as I say, I think I think this is the kind of thing that we all can do and can contribute in our own way. So. Thanks for the opportunity. It means a lot. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a rating on iTunes. Your rating is the single most effective way for new listeners to find and enjoy the show. You can also get all Reboot podcast episodes by signing up at reboot.io slash sign up. There's a link for that in our show notes. I am Dan Putt from Reboot, and you've been listening to the Reboot Podcast. Thanks for joining. How long till my soul gets it right?